We are going to be in 2 John. We're going to be wrapping up 2 John today. And I uh, look forward to Colby preaching on 3 John next week. Looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to start off by reading the scripture. Again, this is, I'm going to read all of 2 John. It's only one chapter, 13 verses. I'm going to read all of it and then we will... And we'll take a look at some specifics here. 2 John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And I know I ask you, uh, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus in the flesh, such as the one, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use ink, or paper and ink. Instead, <clears throat> I hope to come to you and to talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Father, come before you today and read your word. Lord, help us to understand the truth that is in this word. Help it to penetrate our lives and our minds and our hearts. Help it to change who we are and what we do in the coming weeks. Lord, your word is powerful. You gave it to us for a reason. Help us to dwell on it, to meditate on it to study it, 
to give it the weight that it justly deserves because it is the very word of our Creator. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we, uh, we looked at the first few verses of 2 John last week, and now we're going to dive into the last, the, the rest of the letter. And like we've talked about before, this is a letter to, written to a, a church, a church maybe a lot like ours. It was meeting in the home of someone. We're going to pick up in verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as, you, as we were commanded by the Father. Walking in truth. So we talked a little bit about what truth was last week. And this verse is talking about this concept of, of children and whether you interpret the elect lady to be an actual person or whether you interpret to be a church meeting in someone's home. We, we can easily understand this to be believers, right? people who walk in truth. So, so if we are to walk in truth... Remember the first three verses we talked about walking in light. We're going to talk about walking in light in a minute, but this is the walk in truth. We talked about what truth was a little last week. I'm going to hone in on the gospel. That is the truth. John 14 tells us that John 14 verses 6 and 7 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, whom now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, the truth is Jesus, and not only just Jesus, but who Jesus is in relation to God, the Father, which is they're one. And not just who Jesus was and that He is God, but also His relationship to us. He is the way. He is life. So we have the gospel. We come to the gospel. We, does, we without Jesus, are lost. We do not know our way. Without Jesus, we don't have the truth. Without Jesus, we are dead. We have no life. But because Jesus came and lived the perfect life, we now are not lost. When we believe that Jesus is who He is, who the Bible says He is, we believe that we are who the Bible says we are, we realize that Jesus has saved us. I think so. So often this is an academic truth that we think about. But when we see someone 
rush to save someone from, from death. Right? We see a firefighter run into a burning building and pull a child out of a crib and leave that house. We cheer. Right? Our hearts are lifted. Sometimes we cry. We weep. He saved that baby. It's emotional. It's powerful. That's what was done for us. We were dead in our, transgr- in our transgressions. We were dead in our sin. But we were saved by Jesus. Sometimes I think we get too accustomed to that. We just think, oh, the gospel's the gospel, and we hear it all the time, and Cody's all the time talking about the gospel when he preaches. We hear it over and over, and it's so easy to forget how powerful it is. And it's powerful to us because we were saved. Think about how much more powerful it is the people still in the fire. There's still people in the fire. And our hearts should break for the lost. We should be showing them, no, no, you There is a rescuer. There's someone that can save you. We should be speaking about Jesus in our lives to those around us, to whoever God puts in our path. We should be willing to say, hey, I was dead, but I was saved. And that man who saved me can save you too. This is the truth that John's talking about here. So we are called to walk in that truth. Every day, every step of our life should be in that truth. We should be dwelling on it. Verse 5 tells us, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard, uh, we've had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you were as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So we should walk not only in truth, but in love. Mark 12, verses 29 through 31. Here we have Jesus, and He is answering questions. And someone is asking Him, hey, what's, what's the greatest commandment, right? And Jesus' answer here is, uh, you know, often we think of Jesus and he answers in these parables and it's all kind of confusing. He is very straightforward here. 
Verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Could he be any more clear? Love God with everything. All part of you. Don't hold anything back. Love God with everything. And second, love each other. Just love each other. And you realize that all of God's commandments, the big ten, all the other ones, all the things mentioned by Jesus, they all are encompassed in this. Love God, love each other. So walk in truth, walk in love. And what does that mean? What does that walk in love? It means to love God and love each other every day. Every day. Now I say that like it's easy, right? Like just love each other. Man, we're hard to love sometimes. And sometimes it's your fault. Every once in a while, it's my fault. But we've got to be honest with each other. We are called to love each other. And that means we've got to give up some. We've got to sacrifice some. Can't have it my way all the time. Because that's not what love looks like. We can't take advantage of each other. We can't beat each other up. That's not what love looks like. So going into your week this week, just take a second and think about what would it look like in your life this week to love God? Does that mean you pray when you get up first thing? Maybe. Does it mean you pray before you go to bed? Maybe. Does it mean that you say, hey, I'm going to read God's Word at least a little every day? Even if it's one verse, I'm going to read God's Word every day. Maybe. These are all good things. So what is, how are you going to love God this week? And then, how are we going to love each other this week? What's that going to look like? What are the intentional, actionable things you're going to do this week to love each other? How are you going to love your family? How are you going to love your kids? How are you going to love your parents? How are you going to love each other as a church? How are we going to love each other? And then how are we going to love the people that God puts in our lives to bump into? Our neighbors. Remember remember, this term of neighbors becomes an issue. There's a whole parable about it. But it's whoever God puts in our life. That's our neighbor. 
So how are you going to love your neighbor? Is it going to mean that maybe you're going to end up being late to a meeting because you saw somebody's car broken down, so you're going to stop and help them? Is it going to mean that you are kind to that waitress who totally messed your order up and doesn't deserve a tip, but you're going to be kind to her anyway? How are you going to love your neighbor? Verse 7. So now we're getting into some, uh, some hard things here. Some of you are thinking, oh, well, loving my neighbor is going to be pretty hard. I don't know. You, don't, you may not know my neighbor. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into, this, into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So here we, we have this walk in truth, walk in love, and now we've got this, hey, be careful, right? So we, we've got this, these two things. But look, that four at the beginning of seven, that's why we should walk in love and why we should walk in truth is because there are deceivers in the world. Now the particular kind of deceiver, false teacher, wolf, that John is warning about here, the specific one is the kind of deceiver that talks about that questions the nature of Jesus. Jesus isn't who he says he is. Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is. Particularly that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Now it's easy for us to think that this is, and this is the Gnostic heresy, saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he was simply a phantom that walked around. Maybe, some people think that maybe this is the, the coming of Jesus in the flesh, the idea that He will come back to earth one day. It doesn't really matter what form of false teacher that we face, because they're out there. This is actually the most common kind that we will face, which is, Jesus isn't who you think He is. That's... That's a common, common form of false teacher. So in order to know who Jesus is, we've got to study His Word, right? And because there are people out there that are going to mislead you, false teachers. So we've got to make sure we're studying God's Word so that we're prepared to answer the false teacher so we can identify them, right? It's, I'm sure all of you have heard this before, um, but counterfeit experts, the people who catch counterfeit bills, what do they do all day? Right? You'd think, well, they study the way people counterfeit bills, right? That's obvious. No. They study the real thing. They study the genuine bill. Because if you know the genuine bill, you can tell when someone's faking it. That's what we're called to do, to study the real 
Jesus so that we know when someone's faking it, when someone's teaching us something that's not real about him. So we, we have these false teachers. This, this is why we should walk in the truth and walk in love. So it mentions here, before we move on, there's two kinds. It says it's two descriptors here, the deceiver, the antichrist. We're going to start with the antichrist because that's a big word and there's lots of stuff there, right? But first of all, I want to point out that there are antichrists and then there's the antichrist. So anyone that teaches false doctrine, particularly about Jesus Christ, is an antichrist. Matthew 24, 24 tells us, and again, this is Jesus speaking, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So, you guys have heard me say before, I'm not a materialist, which means I believe in the supernatural. I believe that this world is not governed by some set of rules, that God is greater than that. But this passage also tells us that not only can God do great things, signs and wonders, that we've got to be aware that demons have power too. And this passage is telling us that if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, even the church would be confused and led astray. This word, so that's, that's antichrists, okay? Anyone that's against Christ, anyone that's lying to Christ, sometimes it's even used for people who pretend to be Christ, right? That's what that scripture says, for false Christs will come. So we've got to keep our eyes open for this. Deceiver, the, the other word that's mentioned there in verse 7, deceiver. So this means imposter. This is someone present, pretending or presenting a falsehood, usually for personal gain. So we've got to watch out for this too. The world's full of these people. Uh, I actually had to remove some scripture to, for, for length's sake. Um, but there's a whole prosperity gospel sermon in here. Just be real clear. If somebody's asking you to send them money, they are almost assuredly a deceiver. Watch out. Turn away. All right, verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So this word, watch yourselves, this is interesting, right? My mom used to say, watch yourself, right? And we know what that means, right? Be careful. Be careful. You better watch your behavior. Watch yourself. That term, this term comes from, uh, it's actually a military term. To keep watch, right? So when we say keep watch, that's a military term. It actually is a defined period of time from sunset to sunrise. That's, that's the period of time. So you would have watches would be that period of time. 
And in a, in a military setting, you'd have people keep first watch, second watch, third watch, right? So it's, it's a set period of time. And the whole idea is you have a guard who is there to raise the alarm if the enemy comes. So first of all, he's not to usually, he's not the only guy who's going to defend the place. It's just his job to say, hey, come, I need help. The bad guys are here. The enemy is here. Help me. And everybody wakes up, grabs their gear, and they join him in the fight, right? So, so with this term comes this duty and responsibility. Because if you go to sleep on watch, bad guys come up, slit your throat, and then they go kill the rest of your friends that were relying on you to keep watch. So there's duty and responsibility that comes with this. So there's also this, this interesting kind of turn here, this lose of reward. And there's um, some people that use this scripture to say, this is proof you can lose your salvation. So they say, look at the scripture, you can lose salvation. I don't think that's what this talk is talking about at all. It's not talking about salvation, but it is talking about reward in your serving by serving God well. So remember, we are going to be rewarded for how we have carried the banner for Christ. So this call to be alert, don't be fooled, don't, don't have your attention diverted. Right? Don't waste your time. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So I, I want to remind you guys, we've talked about the word abide several times. And this abide means it's more than just to know or to study or even to understand. This abide is a living Right? It's, I am living the Word. I'm abiding in. I'm relying on it. I'm feasting on it. It's my strength. That's what abide means. And that's what we are called to do, to abide. So we have this alert. We've, we've talked about this keeping a watch, this so we're going to kind of put these verses together that we've read. This whole idea that there are people out there, false teachers, false prophets. Let's look at Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears healthy fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them 
by their fruit. So false teachers here, wolves, they sow seeds of deception, controversy, distrust among the flock. We are told to judge by their fruits. This is why leaders in the church are judged by not only what they say, but how they live their lives, the fruit of their lives. This is frightening to me. Because the standard is so high. This is why we beg for your prayers. There's so many leaders in the church have fallen away. I was looking at my library. I have too many books. I was looking at my library and there's so many books in there from men that 10 years ago I respected completely. And they are, and they have lost their way. Some of them have denied the faith. So please pray for us. Pray for Colby, pray for AJ, pray for me. Pray for our wives, pray for our families. We, did, we need your prayers. So the scripture is telling us to be aware, to pay attention. That these false teachers are sowing seeds of division. Romans 16 verses 17 through 18 tell us about this a little. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You are to avoid false teachers. You are to avoid people who are sowing dissension, causing division, creating controversies contrary to doctrine that you have been taught through the Word. That's strong. This deceitful and divisive behavior is not to be tolerated. Titus 3, 10 through 11, this is advice Paul is giving to his student about how to pastor a flock. Verse 10 says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. That's how serious division is in the church. There's not a lot of churches who practice church discipline these days. 
this church will. It's not going to be easy. I don't look forward to it. But we will do everything in our power to protect the bride of Christ through the instruction that God has given us in His Word. Verse 10, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So this greeting here is not simply saying hello, okay? This would be difficult to walk around giving a doc- doctrinal test to everyone before you said good morning to them on the street, okay? That's not what we're talking about. This greeting is bringing them in to your home, bringing them in to your family, to your church, letting them speak, learning from them, right? Becoming intimate with them. Interesting here is this is not guidance against unbelievers. Because there is a different standard for unbelievers than for those who profess to be believers. Of course, unbelievers aren't going to profess the truth about Jesus Christ. They're unbelievers, right? They don't profess to be believers. But if someone professes to be a believer, that's what this scripture is talking about. But they are preaching about a Jesus that's different than the Jesus of the Bible, or they're preaching a gospel different, contrary to the gospel of the Bible, you need to have nothing to do with them. Don't bring them in your house. And this concept of greeting them, you know, for whoever greets them takes part in their wicked works. Colby may actually talk about this a little bit in talking about 3 John, but we share in the work of the Christians that we encourage, that we support, right? Through our prayers, through our money, through our time, through our encouragement, we share in that work, the good work of our brothers and sisters. What this passage is telling us, we also share in the wicked works of our wicked, that those that claim to be our brothers and sisters but are wicked. This should really frighten us. We should be careful here. So this advice to the... This is advice to the church. Don't bring false teachers or false leaders... Don't bring them in. Don't let them speak to your people. So in our families, this this watch, this responsibility, this duty to keep watch, fathers, this is on you. This is your responsibility in your family. Ephesians 5, verse 23 through 24 says, For the husband is the head of of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as for the church, submits 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to your husbands. So husbands, it's your responsibility with the help of your wives. Remember, God gave us a helpmate. So with the help of your wives, it's your job to protect your families from false doctrine and false teachers. We've got a couple men in here who will be husbands soon. Don't take this lightly. So what does this mean? Husbands, you've got to be aware of what your children and your wives are studying. Now, study is an interesting word here, and it can mean many things, so let's be very clear. I'm not only talking about what they're studying in school. Because we study things... What I mean is, what are your children reading? What are your children watching? What are your children listening to? What ideas are they pondering? Fathers, have you stopped and asked your kids, hey, what are you pondering? What are you thinking about? I'm convicted by this. Luckily, Hope tells me what she's pondering. I don't have to ask her. She makes my job easy when it comes to this. But I use this word very specifically. The word pondering. Pondering, what does it mean? It means to think about something carefully, especially before making a decision or reaching a conclusion. Our children are pondering things all the time. And it's our job as fathers, as men, to ask our wives and our children, what are you pondering? What's taking up your mind? What are you meditating about? And in the wider church, it's the duty of the elders of the church, particularly on the Lord's Day in our meetings, but not only on the Lord's Day, to keep watch about what our flock is being taught. Acts 20, verse 28 says, Pay a careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So, don't be surprised if AJ or Colby or myself wants to talk to you about what you've been studying. If we ask you what you're pondering what you've been reading, what you've been watching, the ideas that you've been bouncing around in your head. Now, I know some of you probably cringed just a little bit when you heard me say that. Because we live in an independent country. 
full of independent spirits. And this is not healthy. We're made to be in communion with one another. God has put us in positions of authority respective to different systems, different realms, family, church, government. But I want to remind you of something, going back to what I was talking about, that keeping watch. Because one way to think about this concept that an elder might ask you one day, hey, what are you studying, what are you reading? One way to say that is, how dare he check up on me? How dare he imply that I might be reading something I shouldn't be reading? Who is he to police what I'm studying and what I'm thinking? That'd be one way to think about it. Another way to think about it would be, you're a soldier. You're at the, end of the, you're at the edge of the camp and it's late at night. And another soldier walks up to you and goes, hey, are you... You need help keeping watch? You want me to take a shift for you? Let you rest your eyes? Or maybe we both keep our eyes open because that's how afraid of the enemy we are or aware of the enemy, I should say. Because one way to think about it is how dare he impede on my right? But the other way is to think Thank God I have someone to keep watch with me. I can't tell you how thankful I am to have two other men at my side to keep watch. Because we are at war. Don't ever let us forget that. So we've talked about being at war and protecting something, keeping watch. And in my closing moments here, I want to remind us about what we are keeping watch over, not only what we're keeping watch from. The church, the very bride of Christ. Jesus has entrusted the elders and all of us as believers to protect the very bride that he is coming back to one day. And it's the church, and by church I do not mean the place that we gather, right? This building could burn tonight, and the church could gather again here in a week. But it's the very people who gather that make the church up. You are the church. We are the church. The church is full of broken and hurting people. Many of us carry scars from previous wounds. People who God uses to bless each other. We are the church. We are men who are about to be married. Women who are about to be a bride.
We are people who struggle at our works. We are women who are giving everything into our families and feel like there's nothing left to give, but feeling like there is more to be done. We are children trying to honor our parents as best as we can, struggling. We are people who are having to watch our siblings die. And we need all the help we can get. And we are the people that God has chosen to minister to each other. And we come together here on the Lord's day to sing to God. To pray to Him and to worship Him. To glorify Him in His name. And to encourage each other. And to lift each other up. We are the church. The very bride of Christ. And we only exist because of the supernatural unity of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 1-3 says, Therefore... A prisoner for the Lord. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's the Holy Spirit that unifies us. We can be utterly different and it doesn't matter because we find our unity not through our socioeconomic status, not through the culture we grew up in, not through the version of the Bible we read or the types of songs we sing. We are unified because the Holy Spirit brings us together.